All right, it's good to see you all here tonight. Please take your Bibles. Join me in the book of Esther. Esther chapter 1. This is our current Wednesday night series. It is a book about God's providence. While God is never mentioned in this book, He can still be seen at work in the background directing all the events to fulfill His plans and purposes. We need to understand God's providence in the day in which we live because we live in a day of great uncertainty. Economically, politically, socially, judicially, and even biologically. Things are a mess economically. Gas prices are at an all-time high. Interest rates are on the rise. Food prices are on the rise. Just the cost of getting by is on the rise. Things are a mess politically. Who knows if we can even trust our elections anymore. We have a president who seems to be unfit for the office mentally. And it's heartbreaking to watch, honestly. And it's been proven his family is corrupt. Things are a mess socially. We're being told racism is out of control. We're told if we're against homosexuality or transgenderism, somehow we have a phobia. There's a move to purge our nation of anything that may be perceived as white colonialism. I just read an article yesterday that professors have identified 960 racist names in our national park system. Over 200 names supposedly furthering white supremacy. Even Yellowstone National Park is said to be, quote, the work of white urban power elites, end quote, including Teddy Roosevelt, the article added. Things are a mess judicially. We have a woman in Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson recently confirmed to the Supreme Court, and she can't even provide a definition of what a woman is because she says she's not a biologist. Well, I'm not a rancher, but I know the difference between a heifer and a bull. How do you know? I just glance. And against all odds, things are a mess biologically. We're being told you can be born in the wrong body. Children are being taught to choose which gender they prefer to be without parental consent. Men are competing against women in women's sports. And many feminists who have spent their lives championing for women's rights can't see the problem with this. Women who become pregnant are now referred to as pregnant people, which complicates things because... Abortion used to be all about women's rights. And if you're plugged into the news, then you know there's a leaked Supreme Court document. It's only a draft, but it seems to indicate that the Supreme Court may officially overturn Roe versus Wade. And just so you know, if it is overturned, all it's really going to do is transfer the decisions to the states. Abortions will not come to an end. And to be clear, I'm all for ending abortions. And I pray that it is overturned. 
But you can go ahead and mark it down that if it is overturned, it will not show a return to righteousness in this nation, but it will reveal just how wicked and how godless our nation has become. And we are already getting glimpses of this now. And there's been no official decision made. Protesters are actually walking into churches and chanting pro-abortion sentiments in the middle of a church service. At least two pro-life organizations in Wisconsin and Oregon have been hit with Molotov cocktails, or firebombs if you will. And in Madison, Wisconsin, the building was spray-painted with the statement, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. And maybe you've seen where those within the satanic temple are already fighting to have abortions identified as a ritual and therefore protected as a religious exemption. And now Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot has tweeted, to my friends in the LGBTQ plus community, the Supreme Court is coming for us next. This movement has to be a call to arms. We will not surrender our rights without a fight a fight to victory. What am I saying? I'm I'm telling you this. The world's in a mess. Nation is rising against nation. There's wars and rumors of war. We're being told that the world is overpopulated and we're all going to run out of food. Those people have obviously never driven across South Dakota. I was at a school once. I don't know why I'm going there, but I'm going to tell you now. I've already started. I was at a school once, there was a guy in there, I believe I was in tropical weather school, and this guy was there, and he was talking about how overpopulated the world was. And I said, where are you from? He was from some metropolitan area, and I said, ah, have you ever driven across the West? And he said, no. I said, well, that's your problem. All right. We're being told that the climate is out of control, and we're all doomed. And we can even see shades of what is foretold of in the Revelation begin to come into focus with all of these Vaccine mandates and restrictions. And, and, and this world which appears to be unraveling before our eyes, where do we find comfort? We, we, we have to find comfort in the fact that God is always in control. It is God's providence. God is at work on the world stage. He knows the end from the beginning and His purposes will be fulfilled. And even though we are a disobedient people nationally, God is faithful. And God will work as He sees fit for His glory. And all we need to do is trust God and His watch care over us. Things will continue to wax worse, but let not your heart be troubled. God is on the throne. God is not confused. God is not scratching His head. God is not puzzled. God is not trying to figure out His next move. God isn't alarmed. God is never caught off guard. God is always at work behind the scenes even if we can't see it. And that's what we find in the book of Esther. God is at work. He may not be in the forefront as in other books, but we'll see as we go through this book, he's there. Last week, we left off with the conclusion of Ahasuerus' 187-day celebration. (laughs) Boom. That's a lot of partying. 
They had 180 days. They capped that off with a seven-day celebration. And at the end of that seven days, we saw last week, the king is now drunk with wine. He commands Vashti, his wife, the queen, to appear with the crown royal before his male guest. Because remember, in Persian culture, women and men did not attend celebrations in the same location. There was not any intermixing. They would have been separated. And so he should have been protecting her modesty, not trying to showcase her beauty for all to desire. Amen. And so Vashti refuses her husband's request. And this caused the king to go from being very merry to becoming very angry. The Bible says his anger burned in him. Now the fact is we don't have enough information to know how this whole exchange went down between the king and the queen. Some say the king was attempting to show Vashti's beauty off in a very scandalous manner. Some say that he wasn't, but certainly we could all agree that there is no wisdom in parading your wife in front of a bunch of drunk men. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right. Uh, anyway, Josephus, the Jewish historian, he relates that the king sent for her repeatedly and that she just continually refused the king's request. And that's what actually infuriated the king. But the Bible doesn't say that. We don't know for sure. Some suggest she, did, she was denying in a callous manner. And they do so citing Proverbs 15.1, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. But again, we have no way of knowing. No matter how the exchange went down between the king and the queen, it causes the king to depose Vashti as his queen. We see what kind of damage can be done in a moment of time in a drunken rage. Let's begin tonight, Esther chapter 1. Let's read verses 10 through the end of the chapter, verse 22. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Biktha, and Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus the king, to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look on. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains, Therefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned in him. Then the king said to the wise men which knew the times, for so was the king's manner toward all that knew law and judgment. And the next unto him was Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Maris, Marcina, and Mamukin, the seven princes of Persia and Media, which saw the king's face, and which sat the first in the kingdom. Winky face. What shall we do unto the queen Vashti according to the law? Because she hath not performed the commandment of the king Ahasuerus by the chamberlains. And Mamukin answered before the king and the princes, Vashti the queen hath not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes, and to all the people that are in the provinces of the king Ahasuerus. For this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all women, 
so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes when it shall be reported. The king Ahasuerus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, but she came not. Likewise shall the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto all the king's princes which have heard of the deed of the queen. Thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, that it be not altered, that Vashti come no more before king Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. And when the king's decree which he shall make shall be published throughout all his empire, for it is great, all the wives shall give to their husbands honor, both to great and small. And the saying pleased the king and the princes. The king did according to the word of Mimucan, for he sent letters into all the king's provinces, into every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, that every man should bear rule in his own house, and that it should be published according to the language of every people. Boom. Now I concluded last week by mentioning how Ahasuerus, he's in control of 100 and 27 provinces. His empire stretches from India to Ethiopia. This is a huge expanse, the largest empire at the time. And here he has control over this enormous empire, and yet he has no control over himself or his wife. He just spent 187 days showing off what a big deal he is. Look at all this I've got. I'm the only person in the world that could pull off a 187-day party. I mean, I'm a big deal. I'm the king. And, and he's got his chest puffed out. He's, he's the big man on campus, so he thinks. There seems to be no limit to his power, and yet when he says, go get my wife, she says, no. <laughs> Am I the only one that finds this funny? What do you mean she's not coming in here? I'm the king. She's going to do as I say. I'm sorry, sir, but she refuses to come in here. Now, I see humor in this because here's a man who can control an empire, command all these princes and servants from 127 provinces, and yet he can't control himself and he can't command his wife. Okay, well... Lord, it's you and me tonight. Amen. You ever been around a husband and wife who are fighting publicly? Awkward. You know what I'm saying? They've got a disagreement with each other and they don't care who's listening to the fight. And listen, it's bad enough when there's discord in the home. But when it happens in public, it's weird. It just makes guests uneasy. <laughs> I mean, the last time I was at the Longs, no, I'm just kidding, sis. <laughs> I had to do that since Ken's not here tonight. Pray for Brother Long, by the way. He had a four-day weekend. That's why he had to leave early down at his guard time. But anyway, it makes guests uneasy, and it causes at least one of the spouses to be embarrassed. Well, Vashti's refusal, it's now caused such a stir that the embarrassed king calls for an emergency crisis meeting of his royal cabinet in verses 13 through 15. 
And Ahasuerus asked this question in verse 15. What shall we do unto the queen Vashti according to law? Because she hath not performed the commandment of the king Ahasuerus by the chamberlains. I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but uh, some of you may. I found J. Vernon McGee's take on this interesting. He's, he looks at this and he sees this Mamukum guy speak up in, in verse 16. And in, in his opinion, he finds it interesting that Mamukin's the one who speaks up here and he says the problem with Mamukin is he's a hen-pecked husband. You say, what's that? I looked up a definition for you. It's a man thoroughly and continually dominated, intimidated, bullied, or browbeaten by his wife. And he goes on to call him a milk toast husband. Which means he's timid and feeble. Well, that's an interesting state, amen. Husbands, I hope that's not the case in your home. You're not to be a tyrant, but you are called to be a leader. That's Bible. That's not my opinion. Look at this man's response, verses 16 through 18. And Mamukin answered before the king and the princes, Vashti the queen hath not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes and to all the people that are in the province, in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus. For this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all women, so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes. When it shall be reported, the king Ahasuerus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, but she came not. Likewise shall all the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto all the king's princes, which have heard of the deed of the queen, Thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. Hey, these men, they feel like they got a real problem on their hand. <laughs> Remember that while Ahasuerus is hosting the men, Vashti is hosting the women in verse 9. And so when she refuses the request, it's likely all the wives of the princes around her saw that she was refusing this request by the king. And Mamukin suggests that what the king's wife has done is not only wrong to the king, but hey king, it's wrong to all of us men. All the princes. And if word were to spread of this instance, all the wives in the empire are going to rebel against their husbands. And they will despise their husbands. It does make you wonder what kind of relationship he had with his wife at home. If he's this concerned about how things are going to go down. J. Vernon McGee said, quote, He is disturbed by this because if the queen gets by with this, this little fellow wouldn't want to go home. He's Mr. Milktoast. And I don't think he had very much to say in his own home. I think his wife made most of the decisions. I think that's one of the reasons he speaks out here. End quote. So, Mamukum, hey, once word gets out, 
there's going to be too much contempt and wrath. Because <laughs> we know how women can be. <laughs> I had to put that dig in there. Because nobody's responding otherwise. In other words, maybe you come saying this, King, if you can't handle your wife, how are we supposed to handle our wives? And husbands, allow me to say that if you fear your wife, something is out of balance in your home. And to our wives, if you are domineering in the home, something is out of balance. You may be saying, well, I don't like that. Take it up with God. And then get your heart right. Because what you'll find is the Bible is abundantly clear on this matter. The Bible says husbands love and wives submit. God has set it up where you won't have one without the other. But my wife won't submit to me. Then love her better. See, this is why nobody was into the message, because you knew it was going to get serious. And, And husbands, once you do, you'll find your wife will respond to that love. But my husband doesn't love me. Then respect him better. And you'll find the marriage relationship begins to come together and things begin to flow in harmony when you just follow the Word of God. You see, the the formula is simple, but the execution is difficult because it's hard for us to die to our flesh. And just in case there's somebody who might be misunderstanding what I'm saying in this, I am not saying that a wife always has to obey her husband no matter the circumstances. Ladies, you need to understand this. Your submission to your husband is always secondary to your submission to your Lord and the Word of God. I mentioned last week, if your husband asks you to do something that is unbiblical, that is illegal, immoral, or unethical, you don't have to obey that. In fact, you're commanded not to. So don't take from this what the world tries to tell you it means. Because the world wants to convince you that those independent, squirrely Baptists are all about suppressing women. That's not the case. You don't have to do anything that is out of bounds of God's Word. Remember when the religious leaders came to the apostles in the book of Acts and they commanded them, don't you teach in Christ's name. Peter and the apostles replied, we ought to obey God rather than men. They disobeyed civil authority to submit to their heavenly authority. It's no different in our homes. Well, Mimucum gives his two cents in verses 16 through 18 by expressing his concerns. And then he gives what he feels like is the solution to this horrible problem. (laughs) This, This whole account just cracks me up. In verses 19 and 20. If it please the king, let there go out a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, that it be not altered, that Vashti come no more before the king, before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. And when the king's decree which he shall make shall be published throughout all 
his empire, for it is great. All the wives shall give to their husbands honor, both to great and small. Now, what you need to know about the Medo-Persian empire is once a king gave a decree, it could not be altered. Not even by the king. Brilliant. Who came up with this system? Well, I don't know. I think it's a goofy way to run an empire, but that's how they rolled. We see this way of governing in Daniel chapter 6 after Darius the Mede began to reign. And his presidents and his princes sought for an occasion against Daniel in order that they might put Daniel to death. In Daniel 6 verses 6 through 9, Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto the king, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have counseled together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish a decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. And you probably know they found Daniel faithful to pray to God evening, morning, and at noon. And so they informed Darius that Daniel had violated this decree. In Daniel 6, verses 12 and 13, Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree, Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Well, Darius, he wants to deliver Daniel from even being cast into the lion's den because Daniel had been so highly elevated over the kingdom. But they reminded the king in Daniel 6.15, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Because the king's law can never be changed, Darius was forced to cast Daniel into the den of lions, but of course God watched over Daniel and delivered him out the next day. And so we find the same thing here, and I'm going somewhere with this ultimately. We find the same thing here in Esther chapter 1 and in verse 19. They feel that the solution is to issue an irrevocable royal commandment to replace Vashti as queen and for all the wives throughout the empire to honor their husbands. Now, while I find humor in all of this, and while I feel Vashti is justified in her refusal, we also need to pause for a moment and recognize this principle is a big deal. The king and queen's marriage, it sets the standard in the kingdom. People are watching. Can you imagine if Adrian's constantly bucking against me? How about while I'm preaching, she always feels the need to interject her thoughts because I'm not doing a good enough job or I didn't read her notes good enough. What if, what if my wife's always openly mocking me every time I say something? 
What kind of example would that set for wives in our church? They would think if the pastor's wife can treat her husband that way, then it's okay for me. Come on now, this is good preaching. Did you know the Bible gives qualifications for deacons and their wives? 1 Timothy 3.11, Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. And there's even qualifications in the Bible for aged men and aged women to be qualified to teach younger folks. Titus chapter 2, verses 2 through 6, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Now, if it's good for leadership in the church, then it's good for all. If you're a Sunday school teacher, it's good for you. If you're a servant in this church, it's good for you. If you're a Christian, it's good for you. And you might be thinking, I don't really think this is that big a deal. I want to remind you that our marriages are to be a representation of Christ and the church. It's a big deal. Ephesians 5, verses 24 and 25. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And then as Paul begins to conclude his, his writings about husband and wife, he says this in Ephesians 5.32, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, your marriage relationship tonight, it's demonstrating something. What is it demonstrating? Is it a reflection of Christ and the church? Or is it it a misrepresentation of Christ in the church? The church doesn't buck against Christ. Wives, if you buck against your husband, you're not giving a proper representation of Christ in the church. Amen. Let's finish chapter 1 tonight. Verses 21 and 22. And the saying pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Amucan. For he sent letters into all the king's provinces and to every province according to the writing thereof and to every people after their language, that every man should bear rule in his own house and that it should be published according to the language of every people. Ahasuerus, the big man on campus, decides to create this legislation to impose on others what he could not achieve himself. He issues a command so that all men in his empire would not be subjected to the same embarrassment as himself. He issues a command, a command from his throne on what he could not achieve while he was on the throne. If it wasn't so serious, this would be laughable when you think about it. Here's a man who in a drunken state issues an irreversible command to never see his wife again. When this feast started 187 days 
earlier, this was probably the farthest thing from his mind. Or even when this day began, he probably did not envision that he'd be kicking his wife to the curb. He has banished her for life. How can this be? But this is what happens when drunken, prideful, embarrassed people make hasty and angry decisions based on advice on the fly. She will never be in his life again. Let that sink in. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.26, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, make things right with people. The king could have apologized for his mistake, owned up to his mistake, but in his rage, he issues a command that would change his life and the life of Vashti. And what we see here, get this as I try to close this down, what we see here is that one foolish moment in time can alter a person's life. It can change the direction of the path you are on. One hasty action, you can throw away your purity. One hasty action, you can throw away your testimony. One hasty action, and you can throw away your credibility. One hasty action, and you can end your marriage. One hasty moment can change the course of the rest of your life. We must be on guard. Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. Vashti, at the close of this chapter, is now deposed. She refused to obey an improper command by her husband. And he refused to make it right. And now they both have to live with the consequences of the king's foolish and hasty decision. And chapter 2 will begin this way. And I'll say more about this next week because there's more here than meets the eye, but this is what it says in the beginning of chapter 2. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti, what she had done, and what was decreed against her. But it was too late. The decree had gone forth. It cannot be altered. It, It could not be changed. And what is done hastily, what is done hastily in your life can often be a source of regret down the road. How many young people have thrown away their life at an early age making hasty, stupid, peer pressured decisions? How many have thrown away their purity in a just a quick act of passion? How many? used to be in the pulpit and they aren't anymore because of a hasty decision. I I just heard a report just the other day 
There's a church you probably know. God bless them. The pastor's wife just filed for divorce. Hasty decisions made in a fit of rage change the course of somebody's life. I want to tell you tonight, live your life pleasing to God and you will never live with regret. Let's pray.